I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. You know, gentlemen's magazines with uh, naked ladies are quite satisfying. And I enjoy sitting here in the drawing room of my mansion, reading the bag. Ah, who the hell are you? You've uh, broken into my house here at the Leaves of Glen Mansion. Uh, you clearly broke a window and just slid on through, which seems awkward. Because uh, the windows aren't gigantic, and you just crawled through. Then you reached back and grabbed your giant Confederate flag, uh, and had to pull that through too to make sure I see it. And uh, what's wrong with you? Get out of my house! You're not welcome here. Uh, here in your sweaty and deeply oily and unwashed black shirt with a giant Q on it and, a, and an eagle uh, bursting through the center, which is odd and, and tacky. Uh, get out of my house! Oh, you say you won't leave? Yeah, because you, you quote-unquote want to be heard? Yeah, because uh, you think that the election was stolen, even though the math clearly shows it wasn't? Yeah, you're in the wrong place. Uh, the nation's capital is two blocks away, because that's where I live, in a beautiful mansion, uh, next to the nation's capital. Uh, why don't you get out? Uh, you, won't, you won't get out? Uh, because you want to put your feet up on my desk and rifle through my stuff? Uh, that's fine. I'm going to call 911. Ah, well, they told me that they're not going to get rid of you or do anything about you for, yeah, roughly two hours because you're white. So lucky for you, uh, you get to just sit here for about two hours and, uh, and, uh, just waste my time. Okay, fine. Well, you are at, uh, the Leaves of Glen Mansion, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, and this week, we're going to be reading David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Does that calm you? Oh, hopefully it does. It's his eighth novel. Uh, it was published as a serial, originally, in 1849 to 1850, and as a book, later in 1850, and widely considered his most popular work. Uh, he was born on the 7th of February, 1812, and died on the 9th of June, 1870. So, uh, hopefully that calms you down. Uh, Dickens has been praised by many of his fellow writers from, oh, well, this can be tough for you. You're not going to like to hear this. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, I'm sure you think he's a communist. Uh, and George Orwell, which I'm sure is complicated for you. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, which I'm sure you've never heard of. And Tom Wolfe, which I uh, can rest assured you have not aware of his writings, uh, for his realism, comedy, pro-style, unique characterizations, and social criticism. However, Oscar Wilde, which I'm sure you'd hate if you've ever read anything of his, Henry James and Virginia Woolf complained of a lack of psychological depth, loose writing, and a vein of sentimentalism. Uh, the term Dickinson, uh, this would be fun for you to hear, is used to describe something that is reminiscent of Dickens and his writings such as poor social conditions or comically repulsive characters. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear some fun facts as you make yourself at home 
here in uh, in my drawing room next to my fireplace. Uh, go ahead, have some brandy. You know, lull yourself to sleep in my home. Uh, as you learn that both his father and Micka Weber were imprisoned for debt. Uh, Mr. Dick, good-hearted but unable to deal with the world, may represent another incarnation of Dickens' father in this story. Uh, the character of David's uh, pretty young mother was inspired by Dickens' mother. Elizabeth Dickens attended a ball uh, on the very night that she gave birth to her son Charles. So, that's weird. Uh, uh, perhaps the death of David's mother represented the change Dickens felt toward his mother when she was eager for him to work at Warren's Blacking Factory. Well, looks like the clock won't go fast enough, and uh, I have to sit here and waste time and hope that you don't strike me or shoot me or tie me up with those zip ties I see that you clearly have on your weird jacket that you've got from uh, Cabela's. Uh, oh, thank God. Well, let's uh, let's dive into the story and uh, hope to God you just go home or that the cops actually show up. Get out of my house. Well, we'll do a, a slight recap on the previous chapter, which uh, uh, what we learned was uh, the mom kisses too much. Uh, she's got a boyfriend, and she just loves it. Uh, Peggy, their, uh, their servant, has uh, far too much uh, power and opinions over this family. And uh, we learned that the boyfriend decides to bond with the kid uh, to make the mom happy by uh, just bringing him to work. And just having him just sit in a room and be bored. So that's pretty cool. Chapter 3. I have a change. Ah, the carrier's horse was the laziest horse in the world, I should hope. And shuffled along with his head down as if he liked to keep people waiting. Ah, for whom the packages were directed. I, I fancied, indeed that he sometimes chuckled audibly over his uh, reflection, but the carrier said he was only troubled with a, with a, with a, with a cough. The carrier uh, had a way of keeping his head down, uh, like his horse, and of drooping sleepily forward as he drove, with one of his arms on each of his knees. I say, quote, drove, unquote, because it struck me that the cart would have gone to Yarmouth quite as well without him. For the horse... Did all that, and uh, as to conversation, he had no idea of it, but uh, whistling. Peggy had a basket of refreshments on her knee, nah, which would have lasted us out handsomely if uh, we had been going to London by the same conveyance. Uh, we ate a good deal uh, and slept a good deal. Peggy always wanted to sleep with her chin upon the handle of the basket, her hold of which never eh, relaxed. And I could not have believed it unless I had heard her do it. But one of the defenseless women could have snored so much. Uh, we had made so many uh, deviations up and down the lanes. And there was such a long time delivering a bedstead at a public house and calling at other places that I was quite tired and very glad when we saw Yarmouth. It looked rather uh, spongy. 
and uh, sappy. I thought as I carried my eye over the great dull waste that lay across the river, and I could not help wondering if the world were really as round as uh, my geography book said. Oh, that's another QAnon thing. They believe the world is flat, so good for this book. And any part of it uh, came to be so flat, but I reflected that Yarmouth might be situated at one of the poles, which would account for it. As we drew a little deer and saw the whole adjacent prospect lying a straight low line under the sky, I hinted to Peggotty that a mound or so might have improved it, and also that if the land had been a little more uh, 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 separated from the sea, and the town and the tide had not been quite so mixed up, uh, like like toast and water, it would have been nicer. But Peggotty said uh, with great emphasis... Uh, than usual, that we must take things as we found them, and that, for her part, she was proud to call herself a Yarmouth bloater. (laughs) When we got into the street, uh, which was strange enough for me, and smelt of of fish and uh, uh, pitch, oh, oh, and oakum and tar, and saw the sailors walking about and the carts jingling up and down over the stones. I felt that I had done oh so busy a place an injustice, and said as much to Peggotty, who heard my expressions of, uh, of delight with great complacency, and told me it was well known, I suppose, to those who had the good fortune to be born bloaters, that Yarmouth was, upon the whole, the finest place in the universe." Eh, here's my am, cried Peggotty. Growed out of knowledge. He was waiting for us, in fact, at the uh, public, oh, it's ham, at the public house, and asked me how I found myself. Oh, like an old acquaintance. I did not feel at first that I knew him as well as he knew me, because he had never come to our house since the night I was born, and naturally he had the advantage of me. But our intimacy was much advanced by his taking me on his back to carry me home. How big is this boy? I thought it was like the same age. Uh, He was now a huge, strong fellow of six feet high. Nah, it's not a boy. Broad in proportion and round-shouldered, but with a simpering boy's face uh, and curly light hair that gave him quite a sheepish look. He was dressed in a canvas jacket and a pair of uh, such very stiff trousers <laughs> that we, they would have stood quite well alone without any legs in them. What's that about? And you couldn't so properly have uh, said he wore a hat as that he was covered in a dash top like an old building with uh, something pitchy. Him carrying me on his back had a small box of ours under his arm, and uh, Peggotty carrying another small box of ours. Uh, we turned down the lanes, bestrewn with uh, bits of chips, and little hillocks, and sand, and uh, went uh, past gasworks, and rope walks, and boat builders, and yard rights, and yards, uh, shipbuilders' yards, and cockers' yards, and riggers' lofts, and smiths' forges, and a great uh, litter of such places until we came out upon the dull waste I have already seen at a distance. When Ham said, uh, Yon's our house, Master Davy. Well, I looked in all directions as far as I could stare over the wilderness and away at the sea and uh, away at the river, but no house could I make out. There was a, 
a black barge, or some other kind of superannuated boat, uh, not far off, high and dry on the ground, with a with an iron funnel sticking out of it for a chimney and smoking. Oh, ah, very costly. But nothing else in the way of habitation was visible to me. Eh, that's not it, said I. Eh, that ship-looking thing? No, that's it, Master Davy, returned Ham. If it had been Aladdin's palace, oh, rock's egg and all, I suppose I could not have been more charmed with the romantic idea of living in it. Now, there was a delightful door cut in the side, and it was roofed in, and there was a little window in it. But the wonderful charm of it was there was a real boat, which had no doubt been upon the water hundreds of times, and which had never been intended to be lived in on dry land. That was the captivation of it to me, and if it had never been meant to be lived in, I might have thought it small or ah, inconvenient or lonely, but never having been designed for any such use, it became a, a perfect abode. It was beautifully clean inside and as tidy as possible. There, uh, there, there was a table uh, and, a, and a Dutch clock and a chest of drawers. And a, a chest of drawers. There was a, a tea tray with a painting on it of a lady with a parasol. Uh, taking a walk with a, with a military-looking child uh, who was trundling a hoop. Uh, the tray was kept from tumbling down uh, by a Bible. And the tray, as if it had been tumbled down, would have smashed a quantity of cups and saucers and teapot that were grouped around the book. And on the, on the walls, there were some uh, common colored pictures framed and glazed of uh, scripture subjects, such as I have never seen since in the hands of peddlers, without seeing the whole interior of Peggy's brother's house again at, uh, at one view. Abraham, in red, going to sacrifice Isaac in blue, and, uh, and Daniel, in a, you know, cast into a den of green lions, uh, were the most prominent of these. Uh, over the, the little mantel shelf was a picture of a Sarah Jane, in quotes, lugger, built at Sunderland with a, a real little wooden stern stuck on it, and a work of art uh, combining composition with carpentry, which I considered to be the, one of the most enviable possessions uh, that the world could afford. There were some hooks in the beams of the ceiling, which of use I did not divine then, and some lockers and boxes and conveniences of that sort, which served for seats and eked out the chairs. All of this... I saw in the first glance after I crossed the threshold, childlike, according to my theory, and then Peggy opened a little door and showed me my bedroom. I was the completest and most desirable bedroom ever seen. In the stern of the vessel, uh, with a little window, uh, there was a rudder that I used to go through, a little, a little looking glass, just the right height for me, nailed against the wall and framed with Oyster shells, ah, and a little bed, which there was just room enough to get into, and uh, and a nosegay of seaweed in a in a blue mug on the table. Uh, the walls were whitewashed, as 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 white as white as milk, and the patchwork counterpane made my eyes quite ache with its brightness. One one thing I particularly noticed in this delightful house was the smell of fish, which is so searching that uh, when I took out my pocket handkerchief to wipe my nose, I found it smelt exactly as if I had wrapped it up in a lobster. On my imparting this discovery in confidence to Peggy, she informed me that her brother dealt in lobsters, ah, crabs and, and crawfish, 
and I afterwards found the heap of these creatures in a state of wonderful conglomeration with one another, and uh, never leaving off uh, pinching whatever they laid hold of, were usually to be found in a little wooden outhouse where the pots and kettles were kept. So this entire thing about this bedroom and the smell of the place sounds horrible, but he's relating it as if it's delightful, which is uh, projecting with the character uh, his mood of escape and this little uh, Shangri-La out in this boat. But uh, it also, if you think about it, is pretty horrible. You gotta sleep in a room that smells like lobsters. We were welcomed yeah, by a very uh, civil woman in a white apron, whom I had been seen curtsying at the door when I was on Ham's back about a quarter of a mile off. Likewise, by a most beautiful little girl, or so I thought so in parentheses, uh, with a necklace of blue beads on, who wouldn't let me kiss her when I offered. Why would he, why would he kiss a stranger? Why is that okay? Of course she rejects you. But ran away and hid herself. Yeah, sounds normal for a stranger aggressively kissing. By and by, when we had dined in a sumptuous manner of boiled dabs, melted butter, and uh, potatoes uh, with a chop for me, a hairy man with a very good-natured face came home. As he called Peggy Lass, he gave her a hearty smack of the cheek. I had no doubt from the general propriety of her conduct that uh, he was her brother, and uh, so he turned out being presently introduced to me as Mr. Peggotty, the master of the house. I thought Peggotty was the nickname and that she had a real name. Am I forgetting something? Okay, whatever. He's Mr. Peggotty now, the master of the house. Glad to see you, sir, said Mr. Peggotty. You'll find us rough, sir, but you'll find us ready. What does that mean? <laughs> I thanked him and replied that I was uh, sure... I should be happy in such a delightful place. Uh, how's your, uh, how's your ma, sir? Said Mr. Peggotty. Did you leave her uh, pretty jolly? I gave Mr. Peggotty to understand that she was as jolly as I could wish. Well, she's got a new boyfriend, and that she desired her compliments, uh, which he, which was a polite fiction on my part. I'm much obliged to her, I'm sure," said Mr. Peggotty. "Well, sir, if you can make out here." Uh, for a fortnight, uh, long with her, uh, nodding at his sister, and Ham and little Emily will be proud of your company. Having done the honors of his house in a hospitable manner, Mr. Peggotty went out to wash himself in a kettleful of hot water, remarking that cold would never get this muck off. He soon returned, greatly improved in appearance, but uh, so rubicund that I couldn't help thinking that his face was in common with the lobsters, uh, uh, crabs, and uh, uh, mm, uh, crawfish, that it went to the hot water very black and came out uh, very red. After tea, when the door was shut and uh, all was made snug, parentheses, the lights being cold and misty low, uh, it seemed to me the, the most delicious retreat that the imagination of man could conceive. To, to hear the wind getting up out at sea, to know that the fog was creeping over the desolate flat outside, and to look at the fire and think that there was no house near but this one. And this one, a boat, was like enchantment. Little Emily had overcome her shyness, oh, great, and was sitting by my side upon the lowest and least of the lockers, which was just large enough for the two, and just fitted into the chimney corner. Mrs. Peggotty 
uh, with her white apron, was knitting upon the opposite side of the fire, and Peggotty, at her needlework, was as much a at home with St. Paul's and at the bit of a wax candle, as if they had never known any other roof. Ham, who had been giving me my first lesson uh, in all fours, was trying to recollect a scheme of telling fortunes with the dirty cards, and was printing off fishy impressions on his thumb on all the cards he turned. Mr. Mr. Peggotty was smoking his pipe. I felt it was time for conversation and confidence. Eh, Mr. Peggotty, says I. Eh, sir, says he. Did you give your son the name of Ham because you lived in a, a sort of uh, ark? Now, nah, Mr. Peggotty seemed to think it was a deep idea, but answered that, No, sir, I never give him no name. Didn't give his own son a name. Uh, who gave him that name, then? Said I putting question number two of the catechism to Mr. Mr. Peggotty. Uh, why, sir, his father give it to him, said Mr. Peggotty. I thought, uh, uh, I thought you were his father. Oh, my brother Joe is his father, said Mr. Peggotty. Uh, dead, Mr. Peggotty, I hinted after a respectful pause. Uh, drowned, said Mr. Peggotty. I was very much surprised that Mr. Peggotty was not Ham's father and began to wonder whether I was mistaken about the relationship to anybody else there. But I was so curious to know that I made up my mind to have it out with Mr. Peggotty. Uh, 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 little Emily, I said, glancing at her. Uh, she's, she's your daughter, isn't she, Mr. Mr. Peggotty? No, sir, my brother-in-law Tom was her father. Well, I couldn't help it. Dead, eh, Mr. Peggotty? I hinted after another respectful silence. Drowned, said Mr. Peggotty. What, on the same boat? I felt the difficulty of reassuming the uh, subject, uh, but had not got to the bottom of it yet. It must get to the bottom of it somehow. So I said, uh, Haven't you, in all caps, any children, Mr. Peggotty? And no, Masters, he answered with a short laugh. I am a Bacheldor, B-A-C-H-E-L-D-O-R-E, Bacheldor. A bachelor, I said, astonished. Why, who's that, Mr. Peggotty? Pointed to the person in the apron who was knitting. That's Mrs. Gummidge, said Mr. Peggotty. Gummidge, Mr. Peggotty? But at this point, Peggotty, I mean my own peculiar Peggotty, uh, made such an impressive motions to me not to ask any more questions that I could only sit and look at the silent company until it was time to go to bed. Then, in the privacy of my own little cabin, uh, she informed me that Ham and Emily were an orphan nephew and niece whom my host had at different times adopted in their childhood. And when they were left destitute, and that Mrs. Gummidge uh, was the widow of his partner in the boat, who had died very poor. He was but a poor man himself, said Peggotty, but as good as gold and as true as steel. Those were her similes. The only subject she informed me on which the, she ever showed any violent temper or swore an oath was the generosity of his, and if it were ever referred to uh, by any one of them, uh, he struck the table a heavy blow with his right hand, uh, had split on one such occasion, and swore a dreadful oath that he would be gormed 
if he didn't cut and run for good. If it was uh, ever mentioned again, it appeared, in answer to my inquiries, uh, that nobody had the least idea of the etymology of this terrible verb past passive to be gormed, but that they were all regarded as constituting a most solemn implication. I was very sensible of my entertainer's goodness and listened to the woman's going to bed in another little crib like mine at the opposite end of the boat. Ah, and to him and Ham hanging up two hammocks for themselves on hooks. I had noticed in the roof, in a very luxurious state of mind, enhanced by my being sleepy as a slumber gradually stole upon me, I heard the wind howling out to sea and coming on across the flat so fiercely that I had a lazy apprehension of the great deep rising in the night, but I bethought myself that I was in a boat, after all, and that a man like Mr. Peggotty was not a bad person to have on board if anything did happen. Nothing happened. However, worse than morning, uh, almost as soon as it shone upon the oyster shell frame of my mirror, I was out of bed and out with little Emily picking up stones upon the beach. Hey, you're quite a sailor, I suppose, I said to Emily. I don't know that I suppose anything of the kind, but I felt that it was an act of gallantry to say something, and a shining sail close to us made a, a pretty little image of itself at the moment in a bright eye that it uh, came into my head to say this. Uh, no, replied Emily, shaking her head. Uh, I'm, af I'm afraid of the sea. Yeah, afraid, I said with that becoming air of boldness, looking very big at the mighty ocean. I ain't. Ah, but it's cruel, said Emily. I have seen it very cruel to some of our men. I have seen it tear a boat as big as our house, all to pieces. Now, I hope it wasn't the boat that the, the father was drowned in, said Emily. No, not that one. I never see that boat. Uh, nor him, I asked her. Little Emily shook her head, uh, not to remember. Here was a coincidence. I immediately went into an explanation of how I had never seen my own father and how my mother and I had always lived by ourselves in the happiest state imaginable and lived so then and uh, always meant to live so and how my father's grave was in the churchyard near our house and shaded by a tree uh, beneath the boughs of which I had walked and heard the birds sing many a pleasant morning. But there were some differences upon Emily's orphanhood and mine, it appeared, and she had lost her mother before her father. And uh, where her father's grave was no one knew, except that it was uh, somewhere in the depths of the sea. Uh, besides, said Emily, as she looked about for shells and pebbles, uh, your father was a gentleman, and your uh, mother is a lady. My father was a fisherman. My mother was a, was a fisherman's daughter. And my uncle, Dan, uh, is a fisherman. Uh, Dan is Mr. Peggotty, is he? Said I. Uncle Dan, uh, yonder, answered Emily, nodding at the boathouse. Yeah, yes, I mean him. He must be very good, I should think. Good, said Emily. If I was ever to be a lady... I'd give him a sky-blue coat with diamond buttons, nankin trousers, and a red velvet waistcoat, uh, a cocked hat, and a large gold watch, a, a, a silver pipe, and a, eh, a box of money. 
That's weird. I said I had no doubt that uh, Mr. Peggotty well deserved these treasures. I must acknowledge that I felt it difficult to picture him uh, quite at his ease in the raiment proposed for, for him by the grateful little niece, and that I was particularly doubtful of the policy of the crooked hat. Uh, but I kept these sentiments to myself. Little Emily had stopped and looked up at the sky in her enumeration of these articles as if they were a glorious vision. As she went on again, picking up shells and pebbles. Uh, uh, would you like to be a lady? I asked. Emily looked at me and, and laughed and nodded yes. I should very much like it. Uh, we would all be gentlefolks together then. Uh, me and Uncle and, and Ham and Mrs. Gummidge. Uh, we wouldn't mind then. When there comes stormy weather. Not for our own sakes, I mean. Uh, we, we would be for the poor fishermen, uh, to be sure. And we'd help them with money uh, when they come to any hurt. Uh, this seemed to me a very satisfactory and therefore not at all improbable picture. I expressed my pleasure in the contemplation of it. And little Emily was emboldened to say shyly. Don't you think you're afraid of the sea now? That seems a good spot to uh, stop and... And I'll ask you, QAnon believer, white supremacist, come, come with me, come into the master bedroom, where I can read to you about a new upcoming romance novel. There you go. Settle in. Settle into my silken sheets, you you weary, uh, patriotic warrior. Settle yourself and enjoy what I have to offer you. Uh, there you go, as your eyes get heavier and you slumber off into a beautiful uh, American uh, dream of, uh, of an orange man screaming at the people, which is what you imagine is heaven. Uh, let, me, let me whisper to you. A book called The Heiress Gets a Duke. I know, I know, it's too snowflakey for you. It's by Harper St. George. Just hear me out. It's coming out January 26th, uh, and you might like it if you have enough of an open mind. Uh, even a fortune forged in railroads and steel can't buy entrance into the upper echelons of Victorian high society. For that, you need a marriage of convenience. American heiress August Crenshaw has aspirations, much like you do. Uh, but unlike her peers, it isn't some stuffy uh, British lord she wants wrapped around her fingers. It's Crenshaw Ironworks, ah, the family business. When it's clear that August's outrageously progressive ways uh, render her unsuitable for a respectable match, her parents offer up her younger sister to the highest entitled bidder instead. Uh, this simply will not do. August refuses to leave her sister to the mercy of a loveless marriage. Even Sterling, uh, the Duke of Rothschild, has no intention of walking away from this marriage. Uh, he's recently inherited the title only to find his coffers empty, and with countless lives depending on him, he can't walk away from a fortune uh, a Crenshaw heiress would bring him, but after meeting her fiery sister, he realizes Violet isn't the heiress he wants. Oh, he wants August, and he always gets what he wants. 
But August won't go peacefully to her fate. She decides to show Rothschild that she's no typical uh, London wallflower. Little does she realize that every stunt she pulls to make him call off the wedding only makes him like her even more. Uh, do you want to hear some praise about this book? Yeah, sure you do. You're just a person like the rest of us. A, a delightfully entertaining read, rich with romance, glamour, and lush Victorian detail. Harper St. George truly captures the spirit of the era. Uh, from Miami Mathers, uh, from USA Today, best-selling author. Uh, the heiress gets a duke is a charming, compulsively readable delight that I can't wait for the next book from Harper St. George, The Magical Pen. Uh, Evie Dunmore, USA Today best-selling author. So, there you go. When you're not trying to overthrow a legitimate government, you can read The Heiress Gets a Duke and just whisk yourself away into a, a world of whimsy and fantastic marriages. All right, now get the hell up. Get out of my bed. It's time for us to go back in, uh, into the library and finish reading this book. I know you're fussy. You just got whisked away to a magical Victorian world where romance is possible from the most unlikely places. A world of whimsy and, uh, and, uh, and probably lust. They don't really talk about this being a romance, but, uh, eh, whatever. So you're fussed. Ah, now I make you sit back in this chair as I continue reading to you from Charles Dickens, who I'm sure you think is a liberal. Eh, let's begin. It was quite enough to reassure me, but I have no doubt if I have seen a moderately large wave come tumbling in, I should have taken to my heels with an awful recollection of her drowned relations. However, I had said no, and I added, you don't seem to either, you, though you say you are, for she was walking much too near to the brink of a sort of old jetty or wooden causeway uh, we had strolled upon, and I was afraid of her falling over. I'm not afraid in this way, uh, said little Emily, but I wake when it blows, and tremble to think of Uncle Dan and Ham, and I believe dear M crying out for help. That's why I should think so much to be a lady. But I'm not afraid in this way, not a bit. Look here. She started from my side and ran along a jagged timber, which protruded from the place that we stood upon and overhung the deep water at some height without the least deference. Uh, the incident is so impressed on my remembrance that if I were uh, a draughtsman, I could draw it uh, from, uh, from form here, I dare say. I can't speak, apparently, anymore. Accurately, as if it was that day. And little Emily springing forward to her destruction as it appeared to me, with a look that I have never forgotten, directed far out to sea. The light, bold, fluttering little figure, turned and came back safe to me, and I soon laughed at my fears, and at the cry that I had uttered fruitlessly in any case, for there was no one near. But there have been uh, times since, in my manhood, many times uh, there have been, when I have thought, 
Is it possible, among the possibilities of hidden things, that in the sudden rashness of the child and her wild look so far off, uh, that there's any merciful attraction of her uh, into danger, any tempting her toward him permitted on the part of her dead father, that her, her life might have a chance of ending that day? There has been a time since when I have wondered whether if the life before her could have been revealed to me at a glance, and so revealed as that a child could fully comprehend it, and if her preservation could have depended on a motion of my hand. I, I, I ought to have held it up to save her. There has been a time since, I do not say it lasted long, but it has been, when I asked myself the question, would it have been better for little Emily to have had the waters close above her head that morning in my sight? And when I have answered, yes, it would have been. Now, this may be premature. I have set it down too soon, perhaps, but let it stand. We strolled a long way and loaded ourselves with things that we thought curious and put some stranded starfish carefully back into the water. I, I hardly know enough of that race at this moment to be quite certain whether they had reason to feel obliged uh, to us doing so or the reverse, and then made our way home to Mrs. Peggotty's dwelling. We stopped under the lee of the lobster outhouse to exchange uh, an innocent kiss and went into breakfast glowing with health and pleasure. Uh, like two uh, mavishes. What's a mavish? Thank God for the Kindle. Let's find out what a mavish is. Eh, there's no results. Yeah, we got nothing here. All right, well, we'll never know what a mavish is. Mr. Peggotty said, I knew this meant in our local dialect like two young thrushes. Oh, well, it's local dialect. There we go. And received it as a compliment. <laughs> of course, I was in love with little Emily. I am sure I loved that baby quite as truly, quite as tenderly, with greater purity and more disinterestedness. This is weird. Then can enter into the best love of a later time of life, high and ennobling as it is. I am sure my fancy raised up something round that blue-eyed might of a child, which etherealized and made a very angel of her. If any sunny uh, forenoon had spread a little pair of wings and flown away before my eyes. I don't, I don't, I don't think I should have regarded it as much as I, uh, as much more as I had a reason to expect. We used to walk about that dim old flat at Yarmouth in a loving manner, hours after hours. The days sported by us, as if time had not grown up himself yet. But we're a child, too, and always at play. I told Emily I adored her, and that unless she confessed she adored me, I should be reduced to the necessity of killing myself with a, with a sword. Uh, she said she did, and I, I have no doubt she did. As to any sense of inequality or youthfulness or, or other difficulty in our way, little Emily and I had no such trouble because we had no future. Wow, this is really dramatic. We made no more provision for our growing older than we did for growing younger. We were the admiration of Mrs. Gummidge and Peggotty, who used to whisper, of an evening when we sat lovingly on our little locker side by side. Uh, Lore, uh, wasn't it beautiful? Mrs. P 
Peggotty, Mr. Peggotty smiled at us from behind his pipe, and Ham grinned all the evening and did nothing else. They had something of the sort of pleasure in us, I suppose, that they might have had in a, a pretty toy, or a pocket model at the Coliseum. There's a pocket model of the Coliseum? I would love to have a pocket model of the Coliseum. That'd be so weird. I'd be at work or something and just pull it out and be like, yeah, I got a pocket model of the Coliseum. Check it out. Look at all the seating. I soon found out that Mrs. Gummidge did not always make herself so agreeable as she might have been expected to do under the circumstances of her residence with Mr. Peggotty. Mrs. Gummidge was rather a, a fretful disposition, and she whimpered more sometimes than was uh, comfortable for other parties in so small an establishment. I was very sorry for her, but there were moments when it would have been more agreeable, I thought, if Mrs. Gummidge had a, a convenient apartment of her own to retire to. And it uh, it stopped there until her spirits revived. Mr. Peggotty went occasionally to a public house called the Willing Mind. I discovered this uh, by his being out on the second or third evening of our visit and uh, by Mrs. Gummidge looking up at the Dutch clock between eight and, and nine, saying he was there and that what was more she had known in the morning he would go there. He's a sad man. Mrs. Gummidge had been in a low state all day and had burst into tears in the forenoon when the fire stoked. I am a lorn, a lone, lorn creature. C-R-E-E-T-U-R. I am a lone, lorn creature, were Mrs. Gummidge's words. When that unpleasant occurrence took place, and everything uh, goes contrary with me. Oh, it'll soon leave off said Peggotty. I again mean our Peggotty. And besides, you know, it is not more disagreeable to you than to us. I feel it more, nah, said Mrs. Gummidge. It was a, it was a very cold day uh, with cutting blasts of wind. Mrs. Gummidge, peculiar corner of the fireside seemed to me to be the warmest and snuggest in the place, as uh, her chair was certainly the easiest, but it didn't suit her that day at all. She was constantly complaining of the cold and of its occasioning a visitation in, the, in her back, which she called the creeps, in quotes. At last, she shed tears upon that subject and said again that she was a, a lone, lorn creature, spelled the same way, and everything went contrary with her. Yeah, it's certainly very cold, said Peggotty. Everybody must feel it so. I feel it more yeah, than other people. Is this because her boyfriend is out drinking, or husband, or whatever the hell he is? Said Mrs. Gummidge. So at dinner, when Mrs. Gummidge was always helped immediately after me, to whom the preference was given as a visitor of distinction, the fish uh, were small and uh, uh, bony, and the potatoes were uh, uh, a little burnt. We all acknowledged that we felt this something of a disappointment, but Mrs. Gummidge said she felt it more than we did. Eh, oh, she's always trying to one-up people with her misery. And shed tears again and made that former declaration of a great bitterness. Accordingly, when Mr. Peggotty came home at about nine o'clock, this unfortunate Mrs. Gummidge was knitting in her corner in a very wretched and miserable condition. Peggotty had been working cheerfully. Ham! 
had been patching up a great pair of water boots, and I, with little Emily by my side, had been reading to them. I'm surprised not kissing her a lot. Mrs. Gummidge had never made any other remark than a forlorn sigh, and had never raised her eyes since tea. Well, mates, said Mr. Peggotty, taking his seat, eh, eh, and how are you? Eh, we all said something, or looked something, to welcome him, except Mrs. Gummidge, who only shook her head over her knitting. Eh, what's amiss, said Mr. Peggotty, with a clap of his hands. Eh, cheer up, <laughs> old May Mother, M-A-W-T-H-E-R, uh, Mr. Peggotty meant old girl, in parentheses. I love that he claps his hands to get her attention, get her to snap out of it. Mrs. Gummidge did not appear to be able to cheer up. Ah, she took out an old black silk handkerchief and, and wiped her eyes. But instead of putting it in her pocket, it kept it out and wiped them again. And still kept it out, ready for use. Eh, what's amiss, dame, said Mr. Peggotty. Nothing, returned Mrs. Gummidge. Uh, you've come from the, uh, the willing mind, Dan'l. Why, yes, I took a short spell at the willing mind tonight, said Mr. Peggotty. Oh, I'm sorry, I should drive you there, said Mrs. Gummidge. Drive? I don't want no driving, returned Mr. Peggotty with an honest laugh. I uh, only go too ready. Very ready, said Mrs. Gummidge, shaking her head and wiping her eyes. Yes, yes, very ready. And I'm sorry it should be uh, along of me that you're so ready. Oh, along of you. It ain't along of you, said Mrs. Peggotty. Don't ye believe a bit on it. Yes, yes, it is, cried Mrs. Cummidge. Uh, I know what I am, and I know that I am a lone, lorn creature, spelled the same way. And not only that, uh, everything goes contrary with me, but that I go contrary with everybody. Yes, yes, I feel more than other people do, and I show it more. It's my misfortune. I couldn't really help thinking as I sat, taking all this in, that the uh, misfortune extended to some other members of the family besides Mrs. Gummidge, but Mr. Peggotty made no such retort, only answering with another uh, entreaty to Mrs. Gummidge to cheer up. I ain't what I could wish myself to be, said Mrs. Gummidge. I am far from it. I know what I am. Ah, my troubles have made me contrary. I feel my, my troubles, and they make me contrary. I wish I didn't feel them. Oh, but I do. I wish I could be hardened to them, but I ain't. And I make the house uncomfortable. I don't wonder at it. I made your sister so all day and Master Davy. Here, I was suddenly melted and roared out, No, you haven't, Mrs. Gummidge, in a great mental distress. It's far from right that I should do it, said Mrs. Gummidge. It ain't, it ain't fit return. I had better go into the house and die. I am a lone, lorn creature. And had much better not make myself contrary here. If he thinks me as go contrary with me, and I must go contrary myself, let me go contrary in my parish. Daniel, I better go into the house and die and be a riddance. Mrs. Gummidge retired with these words and betook herself to bed. When she was gone, now Mr. Peggotty, who had not exhibited a trace of any feeling but the profoundest sympathy, looked around us 
and nodding his head with a lively expression of that sentiment still animating his face, said in a whisper, She's been thinking of the old un. I did not quite understand what the old one, Mr. Gummidge, was supposed to, oh, Mrs. Gummidge was supposed to have fixed upon her mind, uh, until Peggotty, upon seeing me to bed, explained that it was the late Mr. Gummidge, uh, and that her brother always took that for the received truth on such occasions, and that it always had a moving effect upon him. Some time after he was in a hammock that night, I heard him myself repeat, uh, to Ham, poor thing, she's been thinking of the old un. And whenever Mrs. Gummidge was overcome in a similar manner during the remainder of our stay, which happened some few times, uh, we, he always said the same thing, an extuation of the circumstance, and I always with the tenderest of uh, commiseration. So the fortnight slipped away, uh, varied by nothing but the variation of the tide, which altered Mrs. Peggotty's times of going out and coming in, and, uh, and altered Ham's engagements also. When the latter was unemployed, he sometimes walked with us to show us the boats and ships, uh, and once or twice he uh, took us for a row. I don't know why one slight set of impressions should be more particularly associated with a place than another, though I believe this obtains with most people, in reference especially to the associations of their childhood. I never hear the name or read the name of Yarmouth, but I am reminded of a certain Sunday morning on the beach and the bells ringing for the church, and little Emily leaning on my shoulder and ham lazily dropping stones into the water, and the sun away at sea, just breaking through the heavy mist and showing us the ships like their own shadows. At last the day came for going home. I bore up against the separation from Mr. Peggotty and Mrs. Gummidge, but uh, my agony of mind at leaving little Emily was piercing. We went arm in arm to the public house where the carrier put up and I promised on that road to write to her. Uh, in parentheses, I redeemed that promise afterwards in uh, characters larger than those in which apartments are usually announced to be in manuscript and is being let. End parentheses. We are greatly overcome at parting, and if ever uh, in my life I have a void made in my heart. I had one day uh, that made. Now... All the time I had been on my visit, I had been ungrateful to my home again, and I had thought little or nothing about it. But I was no sooner turned toward it than my reproachful young conscience seemed to point that way with a ready finger, and I felt all the more uh, the sinking of my spirits, that it was my nest, and that my mother was my comforter and friend. This gained upon me as we went along, so that the nearer we drew, the more familiar the objects became that we passed, and the more excited I was to get there and to run into her arms. But Peggotty, instead of sharing in those transports, uh, tried to check them, uh, in parentheses, though very kindly, and looked confused and out of sorts. Blunderstone rookery would come, however, in spite of her, and when the carrier's horse pleased and did, how well I recollected on a cold gray afternoon with a dull sky threatening rain, exclamation point. The door opened, and I looked half laughing and half crying in my pleasant agitation for my mother. It was not she, but a strange servant. 
Why, Peggy? I said ruefully. Isn't she come home? Yes, yes, Master Davy, said Peggy. Oh, she's come home. Wait a bit, Master Davy, and I'll dash, I'll tell you something. Between her agitation and her natural awkwardness in getting out of the card, Peggy was uh, making a most extraordinary festoon of herself, but I felt too blank and strange to tell her so. Uh, when she had got down, she took me by the hand, led me wandering into the kitchen, and shut the door. Peggy! said I, quite frightened. Eh, what's the matter? Well, nothing's the matter, bless you, Master David, dear, she answered, assuming an air of uh, sprightliness. Eh, something's the matter, I'm sure. Eh, where's, where's, where's Mama? Where's Mama, Master Davy? replied Peggotty. Yes, why hasn't she come out to the gate? And what have we... Come in here for. Oh, Peggotty! My eyes were full as I felt as if I were going to tumble down. Yeah, bless the, bless the precious boy, cried Peggotty, taking hold of me. What is it? Speak, my pet. My pet. Oh, it says my pet. That's a phrase I use all the time because I heard my grandma use it one time when she called me my pet. Uh, and I use it kind of as a joke and people say it's creepy and kind of like something a pervert would say. But here it is. It's something people used to say, and she's not a pervert. What is it? Speak, my pet. It's a normal thing to say for normal people, and I'm not going to stop saying it. Not dead, too. Oh, she's not dead, Peggotty. Peggotty cried out, no, with an astonishing volume of voice, and then she sat down and began to, began to, began to pant and said I had given her a turn. Oh, I gave her a hug to take away the turn, or to, to give her another turn in the right uh, in the right direction, and then she stood before her, oh, then stood before her, looking at her in anxious inquiry. Hey, you see, dear, uh, I should have uh, told you before now," said Peggy, "but I haven't an opportunity. I ought to have made it, perhaps, but I couldn't." Asically. Oh, exactly. It's A-Z-A-C-K-L-Y, which is supposed to be exactly whatever. That was always the substitute for exactly. Oh, he actually spells that out there. That was nice of him. Thank you. I appreciate that. In Peggy's militia of words, bring my mind to it. Go on, Peggy, said I, more frightened than before. Master Davy, said Peggy, untying her bonnet with a shaking hand. And speaking in a breathless sort of way, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, you've got a, you've got a pa. I trembled, and I turned white. Something I don't know what or how connected with the grave in the churchyard and the raising of the dead seemed to strike uh, me like a like an unwholesome wind. Uh, a new one," said Peggotty. "A new one," I repeated. Peggotty gave a gasp as if she were swallowing something that was very hard, and putting out her hand said, Come, come and see him. I don't, I don't want to see him. And your mama, said Peggotty. I ceased to draw back, and we went straight to the best parlor. To the best parlor? Where she left me, and, and on one side of the fire sat my mother, and on the other, Mr. Murdstone. My mother dropped her work and rose hurriedly, but timidly, I thought. 
Uh, now, Clara, my dear, said Mr. Murdstone, recollect, control yourself, always control yourself. Uh, Davy boy, hey, how do you do? I gave him my hand after a moment of suspense. I went and kissed my mother. Oh, she kissed me, patted me gently on the shoulder, and sat down again on her work. I could not look at her. I could not look at him. I knew quite well that he was looking at us both. And I turned to the window and looked out there at some, uh, at some shrubs that were drooping their heads in the cold. As soon as I could creep away, I crept upstairs. Oh, my old dear bedroom was changed, and I was to lie a long way off. I rambled downstairs to find anything that uh, was like itself, so altered it all seemed, and roamed into the yard. I soon uh, started back from there, and the empty dog kennel was filled up with a, with a, with a great dog, deep-mouthed and black-haired like him. And he was very angry at the sight of me and sprang out to get me. Well, now that we're in the smoking room, uh, where I had to pick up the sleeping racist and bring him in here and lay him gently in a uh, Nagahide chair that I have nearby, uh, and I'll relate what happened in this story. Uh, our young Davy got to be whisked away to Yarmouth. We got to sleep in a boat that sounded kind of horrible, but uh, it was apparently a, a warm, cozy environment with people that have problems. Uh, the weird uncle, man, dad, or whatever, was uh, out drinking and his girlfriend, or whatever the heck she is, she got upset about it and thought about her her dead man, and it's just there's a lot of drama going on, but he fell in love with a, a young girl and they, they kissed and uh, promised to write to her. I got a feeling he's not going to write to her. Uh, maybe he will. Maybe that's like a, a lingering love thing that'll come to fruition later in the story. We'll find out. Uh, Peggy was there to just kind of quietly nod to herself and, and smile uh, silently to herself as she rocks back and forth in chair and continues knitting. She knit the whole time she was there. Uh, comes back home. Mom's married. You got a new dad. Uh, his bedroom is weirdly different. That's a weird thing to do. Uh, nothing like having a kid come back home and... Uh, why would the bedroom be different? Did the dad say, like, this room sucks. We need to put the bed over in the opposite side of the room and and make the dresser in a different spot? What's the reason behind that? I don't know. Psychological warfare? Uh, maybe my QAnon supporter would understand that. Uh, what's good about this story? Well, so far we're realizing the child is being manipulated to be away as the mom makes a big act uh, against him. Which wouldn't be a big deal, except that the mom is so deeply emotionally involved in this child. She's constantly kissing him and crying all the time. That uh, when she makes a big move like this, he's going to feel left out. Because uh, she didn't cry and kiss him and explain that she planned on doing it. Uh, what sucks? Well, we just explained. Uh, but beyond that, uh, good story so far. I'm enjoying this. Uh, I mean, again, like I've said a million times... 
unlike other public domain stuff I've read from this era, uh, these characters have a little bit of depth to them. Uh, I know the complaint has been that they're very surface level from previous authors, but uh, the surface level is kind of working. You can kind of fill the gaps yourself as a reader, and it's not the worst thing I've ever read. What do we learn? Don't marry a man that's going to put a dog in the empty kennel. If you're a child and you're used to seeing an empty kennel, just let the kennel be empty. Let the kid's room be the same. Why do you got to change everything up because there's a dad in the picture now? Uh, it's not the way to go about that. Force a man in the picture. So with that, ah, the police have finally arrived. And they're coming to take away my slumbering, sweet little racist. My QAnon supporter who's got a childlike sleeping face, like a, like a little prince. Oh, and they're not, they're not beating the crap out of him or, or spraying him with pepper spray or you know, shooting him with like a flashbang bomb or anything that we've seen here in Minneapolis. No, they're just, they're just picking him up gently, like a, like a slumbering child, and gently placing him into the back seat of the police car, and they're going to whisk him away and probably drop him off at home. Go forth, my sweet little man, into this good night, and I hope that I've taught you something about uh, the power of reading. Thanks for listening. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. <laughs>